Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. We have this thing where we believe this and we even say this, well, I know what makes me happy. And I don't know that we do. Because if we really knew what made us happy, we'd be a lot happier. And so I I think, you know, let's walk into the words of Jesus here and figure out what actually makes us happy. Because my guess is this, is that Jesus actually knows what makes us happy. And so let's read the poem together. The Bible says it like this. It's Matthew 5. You can read along on the screens. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We talked about that last week. That's the idea. It's, It's not blessed or poor. Um, sometimes being poor can make you miserable. Sometimes being rich can make you miserable. He didn't say blessed are the poor. He said blessed are the poor in spirit. And that was a, a, a phrasing that they would have used for being humble or people who humbly depend on God. That you'll actually be happier in your life if you started every day with the attitude and mentality and posture of God. I don't have what it takes, but you do, and I'm walking with you. And that alone relieves the stress of life. And you realize I don't have to carry the weight of the world, and I am not alone in this world. I got this because God is with me. I humbly depend on him. And so, but he continues, he goes, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And again, everything Jesus says, by the way, is mostly counterintuitive and countercultural. We won't talk about mourning today because I wanted to talk about this one because it's father's day. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. He continues though, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But if you'll go back to verse number five for me, there's one verse we're going to land on today. If you're taking medicine, it's 1054. I'll be as quick as I can. Blessed are the meek. Everybody say meek. Now, meek is a weird word. We don't normally use the word meek. The English equivalent that we would probably use most often would be the word gentle. And I find it fascinating. Again, it's counterintuitive. It's countercultural, especially if you're a man. To be told, hey, if you want to be happy in life, you know what you need? You need to be gentle. Now, again, most of the time, you're in a culture that says, no, you need to be manly. You need to be tough. You know, you need a tattoo and a motorcycle. You need to bench press 300 pounds. You need to be strong. You need to be all these things. And Jesus is like, well, I mean, that's good. You can do that. That's fine. But you also want to couple that with meekness or gentleness. As a matter of fact, the Greek word that he uses here is the same word that they would have used for a tame horse. Because again, they just recognize, look, if you go out into the wild, if you've ever seen wild horses, they're beautiful. But they're unbridled, they're unkept, they're wild, they're untamed, they're, you can't do anything with them. And they're powerful creatures, they're fast creatures, they're beautiful, but they're untamed. And so what they would do is, is they would take a horse, and then what they would do is they would tame the horse so that it actually would be, it would be able to be used by the master, if that makes sense to you. And so that's the idea of meekness. And so if you're taking notes, write this down. Meekness is not weakness. It's actually strength under control. Because the tame horse is just as fast. It's just as strong. It's just as beautiful. It actually, though, is able to harness all of its strength for some actual good and some actual use. And so what you see in life is you see some people in life who have no sense of self-control or self-discipline, no sense of gentleness. And what they do is, is they end up making a mess of a lot of stuff. And that mess takes away all their happiness. Jesus actually says the opposite. He goes, you can actually own the world, the earth, if you'll learn this idea called meekness. 
Now, he steals that, actually. He didn't make that up himself. He stole that from Psalms 37, verse 11, where it says this, but the meek will inherit the land or the earth and enjoy peace and prosperity. So I don't know about you, but here's what I do. When I read stuff by Jesus, which I always assume this, I assume that, look, if you can predict your own death and resurrection and pull it off, I'm just going to listen to you, right? That's pretty good wisdom. Like, I'll just, whatever you say, I'll just listen to it. And I gotta at least consider it. So what is this idea of meekness or gentleness? And how in the world would that actually help me to own the earth, to own the land, to be successful and to be happy? And here's what the Bible teaches about. So if you're taking notes, we'll fire through seven benefits of being gentle. Are you ready? If you have another, if you don't want to think of a bridled horse, think of a bodybuilder holding a kitten. That's the image. Bodybuilder holding a kitten. Harnessed power. Watch this. Seven benefits of being gentle. Number one is this gentleness diffuses conflict. Have you ever noticed that to be true? Like you can get into an argument with your wife, an argument with your spouse, an argument with a coworker, even an argument with a friend. And if you don't have some level of meekness about you, you can ruin that relationship really fast. If in the moment you get hot and angry and you say stupid stuff that you can't take back or you, again, you punch a hole in the wall. I had a guy that did that. He came to church one day and he had a cast on his wrist. I'm like, what happened? What'd you do? He said, I punched a refrigerator. So If you punch the refrigerator and break your wrist, you won't be happy. I promise he was not a happy person. Uh, There's something about it diffuses the conflict. Listen to what Proverbs says. This is Solomon speaking. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stirs up anger. As a matter of fact, you, you, you already know this to be true. There's something in human nature. We have something in our brain called mirror neurons, and what this is, is, is that it's actually a mechanism for empathy and compassion. Have you ever noticed when somebody's really sad, you match their tone? If somebody's crying, you don't come in and be like, hey, what a great day to see. Oh, my gosh. No, you see them crying. What do you do? You're like, oh, oh, my. What, what's going on? Are you okay? I'm so sorry. Well, you know, you mirror their mood. Do you notice that? So it's, it's an empathy mechanism, but it's across the board. Because if you get around angry people. You get angry too. You know, you get around happy people. You ever notice this? You get around somebody who's so happy and so excited and you're like, yeah, me too. Yeah, okay. And you just get, you just, it's mirror neurons. It's, it's again, it's the way you connect relationally with people. But, but here's the thing though. When it comes to the anger thing, that makes life problematic. If people are grumpy and angry and you mirror that, you know what you have? You get a fight. You get some real ugliness. It's the opposite of meekness. And so meekness would say, no, no, no. Whenever you can be empathetic, match that. Whenever you can be happy, match that. Whenever somebody's angry, do the opposite. Don't match anger with anger. Actually, match anger with meekness, and it diffuses the conflict. As a matter of fact, if you want a great, if you ever run into somebody that likes to get loud, this is my tip to you, start getting quieter. The louder they get, just start getting softer and quieter. And watch, it's hard. It's, it's just hard for you to, okay, yeah. Sure. Really? Oh my, oh my gosh. No way. And you, it's just hard to keep yelling at that person. Number two is this, if you're taking notes, gentleness disarms critics. Um, you know this in life. You're just going to have a handful of people in your life that are critical. They're, they're, they have some comment to make. They have an opinion about everything. They think they lo- they think that's their duty and their job, and they got a PhD in pointing out the flaws of you. And they're annoying. They're obnoxious people. But here's what happens. Many times when you get criticized, what do you like to do in return? I like to criticize back. I like to get defensive. I like to get angry. I'd like to point out your flaws, right? Actually, gentleness 
reverses all of it. Can you imagine it? Like all of a sudden somebody makes a criticism to you and you're like, yeah, you're right. I should work on that. What do they do? Where do they, as a matter of fact, this is where anti-bullying tactics come in. This is what they teach kids now. Like when a bully says you're stupid, you're like, yeah, I know I'm really dumb. That's right. You know, what do you do? What do you do with that? How do you, oh, Okay, you know what? Jesus said the same thing in, in chapter 6 of the same sermon here. He actually says this. He goes, agree with your adversary. Agree with them. Just watch. It's so disarming. Because you know this when you were a kid. You know sometimes you would get onto another kid just to get a rise out of them. And as soon as you got on a rise of them, it was like you were winning and you just keep digging in harder and harder until you made them cry, right? Was I the only one that did that? That's before I met Jesus and became meek-ish. Uh, and so anyway... It just disarms, it's, it's hard. It's hard for you to be critical and like, you're right. Thank you. Thank you for pointing out that. I appreciate that. And you just, you don't know what to do with it. As a matter of fact, listen to this. This is what Paul said. He was being criticized. There was a dispute in the Corinth church and he just flat out said it like this. He goes, we respond gently when evil things are said about us. He goes, that's just the way you respond. When people criticize you, just respond gently. Because if here's the, because you, you know what is, is going to happen the opposite. If you respond and criticize back, it just escalates and escalates and gets nasty and ugly and you end up into a fight. And he goes, no, no, no. Gentleness is better. Meekness is better. Number three is this. This is why it's better. Uh, number three says gentleness is persuasive. Gentleness is persuasive. If you don't believe me, look at Proverbs chapter 16, verse 21. It says this, a wise, mature person is known for understanding. The more pleasant his words, the more what? The more persuasive he is. So just remember this. When you are being abrasive, you are not persuasive. And you know this to be true. You know that you get so annoyed when you get some hot-headed person who's loud and mean and critical and got a tone. There's nothing. As a matter of fact, and if you actually are like that and you feel like I do get my way, just know this. You're only getting your way in the short term and long term people are resenting you. Because they actually feel like all you are is either intimidating them or, or, or manipulating or demanding or even bullying them. You might get your way in the short run. You are losing them in the long run. And they are secretly resenting you. And so be, be, be mindful. Gentleness is persuasive. Number three is this. Gentleness is attractive. Now, all my men dial in with me here real quick here. Gentleness. Gentleness. It's attractive. Like being arrogant is a turnoff. You need to know that. Listen to what Timothy said. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. He said this. He said, as a man of God, which is what we all strive to be men, pursue what God approves of. And then he lists godliness, faith, love, endurance, and... Now, all those other things sound more manly. They sound cooler. And then you throw gentle in there. And again, there's a, there's a cultural kickback that we have. And Jesus is saying, stop it, embrace it, and watch when it's attractive. Single guys, listen to me, listen to me. If you're single out there. There is something about gentleness that is attractive. If you don't believe me, listen to the story of Boaz. Ruth and Boaz, there's a book called Ruth in the Old Testament. And Boaz is this single, wealthy, accomplished guy, and he meets this woman, and look at how it goes. Ready? Ruth said to Boaz, you are very kind to me, and you have made me feel better by speaking what? Gently to me. And so this is the second key. You feed them. So then at lunchtime, Boaz said to Ruth, come have a piece of bread with me and dip it in the sauce. That's like, remember Lady in the Tramp and having spaghetti? That's what he's doing. That's it. Just be, listen, speak gently to them and feed them. Single dudes, write that down. 
But women, it's true too. Like, listen to this. Listen to what Peter says. When Peter's talking about husbands and wives, he takes a moment and speaks to wives. And listen to what he said to wives. Again, this is attractive. You should be known for the beauty that comes where? From within. The unfading beauty of a what? A gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. See, Solomon said that. He goes, listen, guys, guys. He's like, he's training young men. He's like, listen, be careful. Because sometimes hot girls are nasty, right? I mean, beauty is fleeting is what he says. Like, trust me, I know she looks great now. But they don't always look exactly like that in, you know, in the long run. So beauties, don't go for that. Go for a person of godly character. And Peter even goes on to describe it as like a gentle spirit. And you, you know this to be true too because he had, I think Solomon had hundreds of wives, which he regretted, by the way. So like, don't think, oh, that would have been incredible. No, it was suffering. It was painful. He was suicidal by the end of his life. And you know why. But, but, but think about it. That may, so he had learned from all these wives. That's why he had, I'm sure he had some that were great and he had some that were crazy. Because also, you know what he wrote? He said, you're better off living on the corner of your rooftop than to live with a contentious woman. Like, like that's what he's saying. He said, dudes. If you want to find a girl, go find that girl with that gentle spirit about her. That's who you want to be with. If not, you're going to end up on the roof. So, so anyway, gentleness is attractive. Just remember that. Number five is this. Gentleness communicates love. Um, again, guys, an incredible way to improve your marriage. Focus on being gentle with your wife. As a matter of fact, Colossians 3.19, husbands, love your wives and be what? See, I didn't make this up. You just do a basic concordance search and find all the ways that the Bible teaches you about gentleness and then dive in with wisdom and say, how does this work? How does this apply? There's something about it. Husbands, uh, again, if you just focus on saying, how, how can I be more gentle with my wife? I promise it'll improve it. Watch this. It'll, it'll improve not only your relationship with your wife, it'll improve your relationship with your children many times. Listen to this. Ephesians 6 says, fathers, do not irritate and provoke your children to anger. Don't exasperate them to resentment, but rear them What? tenderly in the training and the discipline and the counsel of the Lord. And so there's just something about it. It is attractive. It is persuasive. It diffuses conflict. It is, it, I'm telling you, and it's not passive. It's not weak. It's you having incredible strength, but knowing when and how to use it properly and wisely. Number six is this, gentleness earns respect. This is true of men and women because Proverbs eleven sixteen says a woman of gentle grace will be respected. There's just something about it. And I know this to be true. I know that there are two people in my life who are both about mm, 20 or so years older than me. One was a man, one was a woman. And um, I got to, one of them was like a, like a pseudo mom to me. And the other one was a guy I worked real closely with for a while. And I think back about these two people, and I would have never said it at the time. I would have never said, you know what I like about them? They're gentle. It took me years to figure it out. I would watch her and I said, man, she has such like a grace and classiness and, and a presence about her. Like it's, inc- she's brilliant. She's wealthy. She's a strong leader, but doggone, she's, she has just a grace about her is what I always, I was always say. I realized it's yet a gentleness. And the other guy was, was a guy who worked in construction as like a project manager over all kinds of different foremans and construction workers, which you know is a tough crowd. And I'm telling you, I was, and I saw him so tactfully navigate so many different difficult conversations and difficult decisions and difficult deadlines. And I remember thinking, how in the world did he do that with such incredible class? Because he was strong in trying to get things done, but he did it in such a way. And you know what it was? 
It was that they had that gentleness about them. And because of that, it got stuff done and it earned other people's respect. So if you're taking notes, gentleness is a prerequisite to leadership. I want you to think about that. Gentleness is a prerequisite to leadership. There were only two people in the Bible who were ever called meek. One was Jesus, and he had a three-year ministry, and it changed the world. The other one was Moses. And he had the biggest church in the history of the world. Led, stood up to the greatest leader of the, of the, of the world at the time and led p- potentially millions of Jews out of slavery and bondage. To the greatest leaders that ever walked the face of the earth on any measurement scale that you can possibly think of. And they were both called meek. So I'm not making this up. Think about this. When we think even about like Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln has these incredible stories of leadership where he could have dealt so harshly and so ruthlessly. And he did it. He was a gentle leader. George Washington, same way, was known for his gentleness. As a matter of fact, he has a document called the Rules of Civility where he teaches young men how to act and behave like gentlemen. It's, it's incredible. And so whether you're talking about Gandhi or Martin Luther King or Abraham Lincoln or George Washington, these guys had a meekness about them. So don't discount what I'm saying here. Don't buy into what culture says. Meekness is not weakness. It's the ability ability to have strength under control. Number seven, and lastly, and I'll close here with this one, is that gentleness makes me like Jesus. One of the greatest stories that I think represents this is that when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane praying, uh, a group of soldiers came to arrest him. And Peter, who was probably not called meek at the time. I don't know if he ever was, but he decides I'm going to pull out a sword. And I, I, he literally lunged at a dude and chopped off his ear. Which is pretty, you know, that's gladiator style. You know what I'm saying? That's pretty thug. And so he pulls out his sword, cuts off a dude's ear. And so Jesus is like, stop it. He picks up the ear, you know, puts it back on the guy. I mean, he does. He heals the guy. He literally puts the ear back on and heals the guy. And he said, put that sword away. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, listen, listen, listen. If I wanted to, I could have a legion of angels here. In the moment of a second. To save me, rescue me, do whatever. That's not what this is all about. I've come for such a time as this. I'm born for a purpose. You're, you're preventing me from getting to my destiny. Is what Jesus was essence saying. I could have. That's what re, re, restrained strength is. It's saying I could have a legion of angels. But I know that's not the right thing for this occasion. I've got a purpose. God's up to something. And I'm going to stay focused on his purpose for my life. I'm not going to try to flex on the world to prove that's not what I'm about because Jesus was meek. If you don't believe me, listen to this. He actually makes an invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am what? I am gentle. It's the same word he used uh, in, in his Sermon on the Mount, for I am gentle and I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I'm just telling you that there's something, it's so counterintuitive, it's so countercultural. I would never say, hey, guys, go be gentle. I, it just would never come into my mind. And so even me, I'm being challenged by the scriptures. I'm being challenged by the apostles. I'm being challenged by Jesus. Say, Todd, when you respond to somebody, man, are you stirring up conflict or are you diffusing it? Are you gaining influence? Is that, is that really attractive for you to be brash and loud or mean-spirited? No. That in every relationship, I dare you to try this. In every relationship. Try to be a little more gentle and see what happens. As a matter of fact, uh, we, we live in a world of hospitality and, and, and a service industry. And I would encourage you to do this. When someone serves you, 
remember that it's better to be understanding than demanding. Sometimes when the waitress gets your order wrong, you got to figure out, am I going to blow up or am I going to be gentle? Because you represent Christ. You're going to blow up. You're going to get rude. You're going to get nasty. You're going to put them in their place. It's better to be understanding than demanding. When someone disagrees with you, it's better to be kind than to be right. Paul said as much. He says, it's better to be kind than to be right. You can be right all day long and be rude, be mean-spirited. He goes, you're losing. It's better to be kind than to be right. Here's another one. When someone disappoints me, it's better to be gracious than to be judgmental. What do you do when faced in those life moments where you have the opportunity to get loud or to get harsh or to get mean? Or you have the opportunity to walk in incredible meekness. Yeah, you could blow up. Yeah, you could get mad. Yeah, you could get loud. Now, can you restrain that? Be tamed for the master's purpose. Watch this. A.W. Tozer, and I'll, I'll leave on this. The meek man is not a human mouse afflicted with a sense of his own inferiority. Rather, he may be in his moral life as bold as a lion and as strong as Samson. But he has stopped being fooled about himself. He has accepted God's estimate of his own life. He knows he is as weak and helpless as God declared him to be. But paradoxically, he knows at the same time that he is in the sight of God of more importance than angels. In himself, nothing. In God, everything. That is his motto. Let's pray this morning. God, would you help us to sometimes maybe reject what culture says manhood is or even what womanhood is? Seems like there's a culture even being dismissive of of women who are gentle. They certainly dismiss men of being gentle. God, can we reject culture and embrace you? Embrace your words of wisdom. Embrace the, the spirit that actually is attractive and persuasive. God, help us to become more like you, Jesus, in the fact that in the moments where we could blow up or get harsh, God, we would restrain it and we would be kind. We'd be full of love and of grace and of patience, Lord. Help us to be incredible men and women of God. Lord, that is our prayer today in Jesus' name. Give me a good gospel amen out there. Amen. Give Lord a big hand clap this morning. Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.